0: Welcome to The Difference Engine, the show for founders, funders, and the category curious. Don't confuse size, don't confuse valuation with category leadership.
1: I'm not the only person frustrated by this. You disagree with my analysis. I
0: do.
1: You either to acquire or you are acquired. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And it's
0: proof that you're winning the argument. We all know history is written by the winners. Hello, and welcome to The Difference Engine. Today, we're turning our attention towards West London and some big, and we mean big, tech investments. And we'll be looking at the players in the great AI category race. What does the future look like for them? We'll also be teaching you how to make your ecosystem blossom and sharing some lessons from category king, Mark Benioff. But first, Starling Has a so-called neobank pivoted its way to a category lead?
1: So Starling's a neobank. Yes. And oh gosh, at least 10 years ago, we were knocking out copy for companies looking to target the bank saying, don't worry, big high street banks, this lot will go away and, and they won't worry you. They've stuck around a while, but some of them are making some interesting moves, particularly Starling with its estimable CEO uh, who's just moving on and, and handing the baton over. This is a company that's had an idea, a category-like idea.
0: Well, yes, its category idea was that it is, it's put all its technology into a subsidiary called Engine. And we think that this will be the engine of Starling's growth in the future. And it's not without precedent, because those familiar with the UK shopping scene will know Ocado. It's an online supermarket, and this online supermarket has done exactly the same. It appears to be increasingly a in demonstrator for the Ocado smart platform with, you know, it's on vogue and, and highly valued combination of artificial intelligence, robotics, and automation.
1: Now, this may be a case where the category move unfolds after time. So, obviously, Starling Bank started as, as you know, a neobank, new type of banking, you know, slightly better bank with Anne Bowden at the helm. acardo when it started off, lots of people thought acardo was just the online Branch of Waitrose. No, it had a deal with Waitrose. That deal expired. Famously, lots of people ripped them off, and they then signed another deal with Marks and Spencer. And I believe they've also got deals with Morrison. So now they are becoming what they probably always wanted to become, which is a platform. But the real platform
0: is the technology
1: that's underneath it, for sure. And m- much the same thing is happening now with Starling. Mm. It's got a you know, profitable, I-, I understand, business. Yeah, well, that's why we like Anne
0: Bowden, because she drove that thing to profitability very, very early on, where most of her competitors are still bleeding money. So
1: don't look over here. Look over here. I'm coming at you now with a platform. This is a much smarter move.
0: Yeah, and uh, Salt Bank in Romania have bought it, and uh, AMP in Australia. So they're running on the engine platform. And of course, this means that selling don't have to try and get new banking licenses in other countries, and they don't have to, to do the long haul of building a trusted brand. But they're still building revenues. Now that's sort of important at the moment because they're starting to hint at an IPO. And you know, we we both know that the value in that IPO is going to come from the engine part of the business, not the Starling Bank part of the business.
1: And I think it's interesting you picked out those two aspects of banks. So this is what really makes a bank different from some of the other pseudo, let's call them, not call them neo banks, pseudo banks who don't have licenses, particularly in the UK, I'm looking at you Revolut and other people—they have sort of operating licenses. They do not have banking licenses. The two things you picked out there about the the, the banks that Starling's working with are brand, which is very hard to build up—you know, it certainly takes a couple of years—and as you say, the license. So we always were saying to those banks, the the sort of defender banks, the high street banks, you've got a couple of things that, that the neo guys want, and now it's it's all turned on its head, where you've got a former neo bank, Starling. Going out and grabbing the IP assets of the brand and the customer base uh, and the license yeah. for their own. But it's sort of interesting,
0: interesting. I think the investment community gets this and gets where the value is. Um, listeners might want to have a look at the London Stock Exchange website where Akado is quoted. And if you look at it, its classification is consumer staples, not terribly exciting. But if you look at the banner on the LSE's webpage, it's got a picture of Ocado's demonstration website so it's just a mass of robots in a well, Let's in get into the warehouse. London Stock
1: Exchange there's a lot that needs to be changed before that is <laughs> yeah, yeah, anything they, like but they
0: could have put a very consumer friendly smiling acoda delivery person and a lovely electric van but they didn't they went straight in for the tech that's where the value is
1: And I think there's another piece here right so the the, the classic cliche about the internet.com boom which I mm. lived through we both lived through was that the money was made by Microsoft and Cisco they were the guys selling the Quote yep. unquote picks and shovels yep. of the of the Network, gold rush. Him. They were the Levi Strauss of the era, and they were. As, as Warren Buffett said, when all the water went out, those guys still had a business. And it's amazing how category design it does need to often pivot, right? Yeah. So you think of some not, examples. It's not
0: the first time. So you, you think about Slack, which started off as a as a video game chat app from from memory. Um, Minecraft, which was called Cave Game, I think, hence the mine. It only occurred to me that that's mine and cave, and they added survival to the building skills, which made it much more competitive. And of course, you know, AWS. What did that go out of? Amazon's ability to build huge infrastructure for this global shopping. Which in platform. turn
1: came out of the ambition to be the bookstore for the world. Right. Right. Started off as a online bookshop. Yeah. So your first shot may not be where you end up. We haven't been party to the internal conversations at Starling, but it looks a lot like Ocado. And Ocado, we know, because those guys are also West London, were very intentional in the way that they went after the opportunity. And they took some short-term pain, particularly around the Waitrose uh, loss, to get the long-term gain of being the leader in the category that they set
0: out to do. But It's fascinating that that's essentially going for value from a, a B2C proposition to a B2B proposition. So going from selling to... Um, you know, you and I getting our, our groceries to the really deep infrastructure specialists who are putting together the next generation of, of support for e-commerce and, you know, Starling Bank, going from selling to banking consumers like us to the banking infrastructure specialists.
1: I mean, it can't hurt that consumers are aware of the brand. No. Funnily enough, it puts a nice pattern. You know, we, we put on our own name on the technology Starling bank, Ocado, Yeah. And now we're going to go do the B2B, the heavy lift the sales where the money's really made at the back end. We're doing that with a brand that people know. So it's sort of interesting case study in that respect. But we do wish the guys at Starling all the very, very best. I'm personally a, a, a user, as I am of Ocado. Mm-hmm. And I really like the way that these guys have sort of pivoted to where they always wanted to be, which is a very strong B2B category. Yeah,
0: we hope that bodes really well for any uh, future IPO. So from both of us, good luck, Starling Bank. Well done. More on the blog. I've got a question for Paul here. Paul, what is a flap? At the risk
1: of appearing prudish, I'm afraid
0: I don't know. Well, okay, let me tell you, it's Frankfurt, London, Amsterdam, and Paris, and it's used to describe who's who in terms of data center investment there. And apparently, good old UK is leading it. Why? Because we've apparently attained leadership in public cloud infrastructure. Oh, I hear you.
1: So I know what you're talking about now. Right, so Microsoft, in a slow news week, decided to announce that it's going to invest, and very helpfully for the UK government, $2.5 billion in a data center district very close to here. This is a local news story we're talking about, probably two miles that way in
0: Acton. Yeah, but you you might think, oh, what, what news is that? Because in that particular district, we've already got two Equinix data sites. Arc Options Cult are there as well. And Vantage has just said it's going to put another data center in. So what's special about Microsoft? Pumping some money into this. Well, I think the key is northwest London. The key
1: is AI, right? It's all very well putting a, a dumb ass data center anywhere you want to flap or not, but if you're talking and they are talking about twenty thousand of these super rare AI GPUs by 2026, that's
0: a hell of a lot of money. It is. It is a hell of a lot of money, and you know, again, it might just be. Oh, look at us. We've got a new data center, and it's a bit special because we've got the AI GPUs in there. But it's a little bit more than that. They're already showing that they intend to build an ecosystem around this, and a lot of this investment money is going to do that precisely.
1: Yeah, and I think the other thing about any sort of data center investment, whilst it may not bring a lot of jobs, so it might not help Mr. Sunak and the government in that way, it does bring expertise and it brings experts who would want to be close, physically close, to where the computes happen. Yeah,
0: but you know, as part of this investment, they are wrapping an ecosystem around this great bit of real estate. I mean, they're going to apparently train 1 million people with the skills you need to work in AI.
1: Yes. I think that's something I'd take with a, with a pinch of salt. But there's no doubt that Microsoft is absolutely killing it in terms of AI. The co pilot language that they use is being adopted left and right. But it all starts with spades in the ground, shovels in the earth, whatever you want to call it, and building.
0: Data centers. Yeah. But the issue is this is a classic category play. It's not just another data center. This moves everything forward. In terms of In terms of the fact it's not just dumb processing being attached to dumb pipes. This is enabling an entirely new paradigm to be created.
1: Right. And and you know, you can get that wrong. I don't know if you probably will remember when the dark fiber sort of gold rush was on and everyone was digging holes in streets and filling them with optical cables. Well, they never got lit up. So that never took off. But I think you'd be a very brave person to bet against what's going to happen with AI. And $2.5 is not an inconsiderable sum of money.
0: Yeah, but this whole district is absolutely full of processing power. The key thing is, are the other providers going to start following Microsoft and actually start equipping their data centers to be a bit more, you can't be a bit more AI specific, but having more AI capacity? Or just fold under, right? Like just
1: use the compute power that's there go for the whole Microsoft story maybe build some federated AI type technologies on top of Azure that's really the game here it's like you you want to be the person with yes the most capacity but also the most convincing story that you're going to lead and you know what you can do is you can frighten your competition into submission you can't do that in every category this one happens to involve you know hard stuff like actual bare metal but if you get it right you just demonstrate to the market that there's nobody else going to lead this category, and by default, you become the category leader. Still a lot to play, but I, I do think it's, it's a fascinating move and very, very good for West London.
0: Yeah, classic category play. Congratulations to Microsoft on their vision and commitment on this one.
1: So, red lights on cranes in West London, Microsoft chucking some cash down. What's our lesson here from a category point of view?
0: Do it seriously, build yourself an ecosystem. This isn't just about building an AI-specific data center, it's about building a whole ecosystem around it. And that really throws the gauntlet down, not just to other data center suppliers, but to everybody who wants to drive the next paradigm in computing based around AI.
1: You've got to learn to earn. This week, we're going to give you a few pro tips on what an ecosystem is. Once again, an ecosystem is a key component of the category design process alongside blueprints and points of view. So why should you care about ecosystems?
0: Well, it's one of the most important things that you can do to help build value for the customers that your category has been created to serve. But, you know, this ecosystem has to deliver value to those people who are with you on the journey in delivering it as well.
1: Right. And, and it's fair to say in this world of digital products that virtually nothing is vertically integrated, i.e. you're not mining a product from the ground, refining it, manufacturing something with it and selling it. It's always, almost always a mishmash of various contributors. And so the ecosystem is that ecosystem that puts together the offer that allows you to dominate your category.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a mutual life support network, if you want to think of it that way. But we also think that actually the customers themselves, particularly the really innovative customers, are a vital component of the ecosystem because it's them that helps your category stick
1: right. and sidebar on analysts because we've had a annoying um, another annoying conversation today yes. about analysts is like the analysts ain't that fundamental to your ecosystem. What you said about customers much
0: more important Oh totally. I mean, I, I you know I, I think the analysts support the premise of the ecosystem, but ultimately they're not a critical component part of it.
1: All right, let's get into it. So the ecosystem, it's a it's a word for a natural environment. I mean, like it's a well-chosen word. It's Mm. you know, we don't talk about a network, we talk about an ecosystem. Do you want to talk a little bit about how apt that is?
0: Yeah, I mean it's about being mutually supportive, but it's also critical that it evolves over time.
1: Just like a natural world ecosystem. Exactly.
0: And one change will percolate through that whole ecosystem but let's just try and dive down into a little bit more ecosystems are built of organizations or organisms in in the natural world that have a vested interest in each other's success so often those organizations that are going to be in your ecosystem are partners and if you think about partners particularly if you're building a, a, a tech ecosystem there's really sort of two types of partners to think about. The one I think of as transactional partnerships, you know, they're, they're channels of distribution ultimately. And, you know, the thing about channels is, think not many people know this, that 75% of world trade is conducted through partnerships, you know, and that's about $5 trillion in businesses and governments spending on tech each year, and I say, Three-quarters of that will go through partners. Then there's another, slightly more nebulous but just as important type of partner, which are the non-transactional partnerships. And they're companies and organizations and even individuals who who add value during or after the, the transaction but don't collect any money on behalf of a vendor. And there could be a myriad of technology, strategic, analytical or business alliances in there the reality is that a lot of organizations are both types at once they may may be adding a whole lot of value that may not have money instantly collected from it but their partnership will add huge strategic value to their particular offer as part of the ecosystem
1: right and i think it is worth saying also that as you begin your category journey there may be people in the ecosystem that drop off yep they're most more than likely are these 71% distribution folks that you cannot get to today, you're not big enough, you're not important enough, no. you haven't made the case for the category, no one's seeing it the way you're seeing it because you're designing the category, and they will need to be co-opted. But it could be that that's some time in the future, but you should conceive of it as early as possible. Yeah,
0: and your first partners in your ecosystem are going to be the most important ones, because their success as part of the ecosystem will encourage other people to join. Now, To the point you've just made, when you're building an ecosystem at the beginning, this is all part of your category blueprint, which we've talked about at length. And the people that are going to be with you at the beginning of the journey are not the people doing business as usual. Because remember, this is all part of doing business not as usual.
1: So let me just capture this. So you're saying that some of the people in the ecosystem, early doors in the category, could be very left of center, You know, what's the relationship? But they've got a joint enterprise, if you will, with your category because they stand to gain a lot from it, even though that may not be obvious even to them at the start.
0: They are not wedded to an existing ecosystem. They're not wedded to the status quo. Or even if they are, they've got a profound reason to move things forward. So that's what you're looking for. You're looking for the organization or the individual that wants to drive change.
1: And it may be two steps to get where you want. One engagement I'm thinking of in particular was where our client desperately wanted to have somebody in their ecosystem. That was a global SI. They know that the the distribution that you talked about before will get them to lots of enterprise deals that they couldn't get on their own. But they couldn't go straight at them. We had to make a a stepstone move with somebody else with the deliberate intention of getting some attention on their products so that the big guys could say, oh, Maybe there's something in this.
0: But I believe that the phrase is a sprat to catch a mackerel. Ooh,
1: um, I thought it was a sprat to catch a whale, but it, it, <laughs> same it. thing.
0: Well, you're just more ambitious than me sometimes. Exactly. Um, uh, but I think you know the, the point here is that what you're looking for with that strategy is to get a real sense of fear of missing out, of FOMO, yes. amongst the bigger players who will suddenly move with you and that's when your ecosystem development becomes exponential
1: and contrast all of that with the ambition that too many people have these days which is these are my distribution partners these are the guys that i need to get to and if i don't get to them i won't have achieved anything Mm. this is much bigger thinking right
0: yeah and when we're talking about bigger thinking those early ecosystem partners have to be prepared to go with you on that category journey They have to be prepared to take part in validating strikes, for instance. They will be an important part of that and evangelizing that category in, in their sales, marketing, and any other influencing activity they're doing. So you have to choose your ecosystem partners very, very carefully.
1: But it is very frightening to me how many times you express that you want somebody to join your ecosystem. They're not there now. And there's this sort of trepidation, fear, I would say, of going to just ask. You know, before yeah. the question gets asked, shall we try and partner with somebody, often it's like, well, they will never partner with us. It's like you've given up before you've even started. Yeah. And that unambitious view of the ecosystem is just you know, is doomed to failure. Well, I think
0: you should ask yourself a very tough question if you're not prepared to, to go out to a potential partner, explain what it is you want to do on your category journey. Uh, probably means your point of view isn't hard and fast enough at that stage and it really really should be you should be totally confident in taking that point of view out to market it may just be that you may get rejected from people who are in existing ecosystems simply because they cannot move fast enough or it's not in their interest to move they may absolutely get what it is you're trying to do but it's just not the right time
1: right so just summarizing some of this conversation about ecosystem then so what we're saying is be extremely ambitious in your ecosystem.
0: Yeah, make sure they're aligned with your point of view.
1: Go for the randos, the, the, the random sort of folks you think may not go along with it. Yep. Ask as many people as possible Yeah, because it's part of building the category, right? And the ecosystem partners are amplifying your category. That's the big prize. That's what you want.
0: That's what you want. And they're not going to do that if they're massively invested in the current status quo or are yeah. not going to do it immediately. So don't take rejection as a rejection per se of your category idea, they will be rejecting a partnership with you for loads of other reasons that are not to do with your category vision.
1: So it's all about sourcing those sort of left of center, stupidly ambitious, equally bought into your POV as you are type partners. That's the ideal ecosystem. Yeah,
0: they're your partners in the new world you're gonna create. what does the future hold let's look into our crystal ball
1: there's a lot of confusion about ai let's look once again into our crystal ball and see what we can predict is going to happen as we emerge from this cambrian explosion so i'm going to defer to somebody who knows a lot more than me on this topic what's the cambrian explosion jonathan
0: well, uh, I do have to go back to my university days on this as an undergraduate. And uh, I'm sure that from those days, as a geology student, I learned that the Cambrian explosion was one of the very earliest flowerings of life on Earth. Well, it's a trick question because I wasn't
1: talking about the Cambrian explosion. I was talking about the Cambrian explosion of AI companies that everyone's expecting is going to happen in the new year. So we've got Aleph Alpha Alpha. Mm. 500 Tasty Million Euros.
0: that has got our friends, Cavalry Ventures, invested in that. And, and Schwarz Group, who are the, the guys behind one of the big German supermarket chains.
1: We salute you. Inflection AI. We don't think much of uh, Mr. Hoffman's moves on that one, but that's because he's no. so negative about Europe, so yep. forget that one.
0: Yep.
1: Uh, Quantum Black has been around for a while. McKinsey and those guys. Anthropic. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mistral out of France. Amazing. Good. Yep. N- another European unicorn uh, in the making. And most interestingly for us just down the road in notting hill's a little company called stability ai
0: very interesting stability very yeah interesting.
1: and uh, ahmed mustaki there who i saw up at the cogex event is one eloquent dude on this my point is there's a lot of it about it's about to explode and is it possible at this stage in any new wave of innovation mm. to pick the winners or are
0: they yet to emerge? Well, I mean, I think from our point of view, there's an awful lot of categorization to be done to actually make sense of a generic explosion in generative AI in particular.
1: Yeah, because it's very hard to see it at this point, when, when anything that's got AI on it gets funded, and anything that, that doesn't have AI on it doesn't get funded. Yeah. And we see some of the more honest engineering type founders saying, oh, well, I don't really want to put AI into you know, into my, my solution. It's not really there. But the fact is, AI is going to touch every tech solution. And this sort of shyness and reticence, all it's doing is hurting their valuations. So our advice up until now has been, yeah, jam it in there, get the excitement of the VCs, you know, don't worry too much. Of course, in due diligence, you'll have to have a frank conversation, but you're sort of hampering your business up until now.
0: Now, when this thing explodes, that might not be the case. Yeah, but the key issue, I think, for everybody going forward will be, what is your AI enabling? Because that's what your customer's gonna buy. I mean, if you look at the predictions for last year, 80% plus of businesses will be looking at AI-based applications.
1: Yeah, it's it's gonna be everywhere. So now, you know, the mantra is different, not better. Yeah. How do you take the AI-ness, which is gonna be this Cambrian explosion mm-hmm. of AI? How do you take that and use it to your advantage? What are you driving at here in terms of the naming? Yeah, so like obviously your category name, there's the fight for the language is on. We talked in, a, in another uh, section about the use of the word copilot. Yeah. Is that a smart thing to do at this point? Well, it seems to be emerging as certainly a term that's languaged around
0: AI, but also one that's owned by Microsoft. Yeah, so do sure. you want to go there? What's clever about that is that it's starting to describe how you will use this stuff. Because everybody's very happy to talk about AI as though it's some form of magic that if you apply to things, but people have to understand this year and going forward what they're actually going to do with it. What is it going to enable? So I think unless you can describe what something is going to enable, don't go near it. That's the key for categorization. Because the word AI
1: will sort of disappear off into the the rear view mirror, but the sorts of sub-segments of the use of that technology, which may have AI plus a modifying word with it that is sort of more directionally where you, you want to be thinking and, and the example that comes to mind again is the Intellisense guys mm-hmm. out of the UK yeah. uh, and what they're doing in terms of you know their AI is all about mineral uh, extraction etc right. so so you know it, it could be that, that that we find a bunch of these AIs the word AI disappears but it's more to do with what the category enables the,
0: the end user to do. Right. In that case, it's mineral extraction. So how do you go from the AI that enables the mineral extraction? There is some modifier in the middle of sure. that, which describes the impact of this new approach to data processing, which is essentially what AI is. Absolutely. And, and what's very hard to see, but it's almost inevitable,
1: is with this amount of funding chasing you know, a growing number, but a, but a reasonably small number of companies we've listed, just sort of seven or eight of them. Not everybody's going to win. Yeah. So the time to think about how you differentiate yourself is now. Is. Because you don't want to be, you know, player three, player four, in you know, a head-to-head with somebody like Microsoft. You get killed. So, so half a billion sounds super impressive today. Yeah. But after the Cambrian explosion settles down a little bit, it's time to be different. The, the risk of misusing a geology word, there'll be a strata which is sort of platformy. We've talked about that before. That may be owned by the big guys, and it may revert to zero as a profit machine. It might just be like the internet, you know, like, who would want to be a telco at this point, right? So the, the big AI sort of evolution may settle down. And very quickly, you'll have to be the specialist in your niche, back to your geology, environmental stuff. So you'll have to figure out what problem it is that you solve, solve it very differently and prove your difference.
0: I wanted to talk a little bit about big lumps of paper, books. That's what they're called, books. Mark Benioff has published another tome fairly recently. It's called Trailblazer for people that haven't you know, in any way, been aware of of, of what this man? Well, we give does. all the
1: team copies of Behind the Cloud, which is the story of how Salesforce.com went from idea to billion. Now that seems very passe because a billion was a long time ago for this guy.
0: Yeah, but I think you know, as you'd expect, there's a bit of a category story here, and and you know, we we go on quite a lot about Eddie Yoon and Linda Deeks' seminal. Piece in Harvard Business Review. I mean, it's 10 years old, but it's still good stuff. And, you know, what we got out of that was that category leaders get most of the value out of the ecosystems they build around them. And Um, funnily enough,
1: even though that book's 10 years old, you know, I see UK and European entrepreneurs in organizations like Boardwave, et cetera, now only catching on to how long it takes to fully flesh out a category and the beauty of the the long-distance strategy that uh, building a new category yeah, is.
0: I think you're absolutely right. I think you don't have to look much further than Salesforce for a, an object lesson in delivering value out of category design. I mean, just, just look at the numbers. Uh, the non-gap revs for uh, FY 2024, they're, they're projecting $34.8 In FY 2023, that was 31.422, just over $26 billion. And you he know, couldn't help year, himself. Ten years ago, it was 4.1 million. I mean, million, I think it was kid. very eloquent.
1: It was just a tweet with just those numbers from the man himself. And I think what he's saying is, interpret it as you will. We have a category story, and we have built category that just pays off in numbers.
0: <laughs> Do you know, the stock price has increased over five times in 10 years. I think, that, you know, with my m a hat on here, that the thing I think is amazing is the increase in margin. and. You can see the increase in margin just going up and up and up as their leadership in CRM became indisputable. You know, in 2020, the margin was just over 16%. It's now over 30%. Right,
1: and so margin, let's remember, this is returning money back to the investors, unlike everybody in the zero interest rate period where they were just, you know, please invest in me. I will make you some margin at some point. Yeah, This guy's a margin machine. Absolutely, and, you know, there wasn't a blip during covid19 maybe not i mean like he's bought as well as built a lot of stuff so you think yeah. about heroku that was inspired you think about tableau you could say he overpaid for it demand where question mark exact target don't know
0: no but there's some crackers in there and they get bigger and bigger over time so you look at you know 2020 it was slack and that was you know 27.7 billion you know, Tableau, 2019, 15.78. MuleSoft, 6.5 in 2018. Yeah, I don't yeah. know about the MuleSoft uh, right, back to, deal, exact to be honest.
1: Target, but, you know. Yeah, so I mean, he, he has built and bought his way into success. But he was always clear in his vision from the start that he's going to be a category that he's going to own. And what he's done, he's fleshed out around it. Yeah. He's almost built the ecosystem for what used to be called CRM. So he's definitely a guy to, to keep an eye on. And I like the eloquence of, instead of talking about things in terms of, you know, flyery language, just posting the numbers. At this time, when everybody's hurting, I think he's really telling people who's the boss of yeah, Category. I think so. And
0: these things didn't happen by accident, as you say. And it's a reminder that, you know, the hard yards in Category design can really deliver if you get it right. So, you know, I guess my view is that if you're looking to find some sort of inspiration for a Category journey in 2024, you know, look, look no further than Trailblazer. Get that on your New Year's Reading list. One of my favorite quotes from that book is, and I have to read this, so I can't remember it all. He sort of neatly summarized the, the aim of categorization, sort of inter and in something else. He said, the future isn't about learning to be better at doing what we already do. It's about how far we can stretch the boundaries of our imagination.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, we always refer back to, it's 10 years old now, it's an old book, Play Vigor, right? And Benioff's on the, on the dust jacket of that talking about the importance of category lest you forget this guy figured it out a long time ago and everyone else is still wringing their hands about whether or not it's a good thing to do actually the proof is in the pudding and the proof is in the numbers on this one it's a good one to read anytime but the sooner the better
0: yes as far as we're concerned mark benioff is category
1: we salute you mark
0: thank you for listening If you want to learn more about what you've heard today, then you can go and read our blog at becategorical.com. If you're ready to make that bold category play, then get in touch. You can find all our contact details in the show notes. And remember, don't be better, be different.